Welcome to Planet Dose. I'm your host, Kevin Doe. And on episode 47, I talked to Tan Wing. Shout out for Tan for coming on the pod and doing the whole pod in English. I'm still brushing up my Viet so I can go 100% on a pod one time. This is another episode heavy on the Vietnamese heritage, food, and culture. These are some of my personal favorite episodes because I have so much curiosity about this topic that it makes it easy for me to go deep on these. So if you're also interested in hearing about the duality between American and Vietnamese culture, this is going to be a really interesting episode. Tan has lived in the United States for 10 years and has grown up in both countries, uh, being heavily influenced by it uh, in terms of food, politics, fashion. Tan is a Vietnamese-born creative living in Seattle where he goes to school as a graphic designer. Tan's father and grandfather are both tailors in Vietnam, and Tan Sinch has pursued his own path in creating garments and clothing with his personal project called Souvenir. Tan is also the co-founder of VSSG Instagram page, which highlights the young creative energy emerging out of Vietnam in terms of fashion. Tan is super involved in his community, and you can find all his projects on his personal Instagram page at TanXWing. You can find all of his links in the description. If you like what you're hearing and want more information about how you can help Planet Dose grow, stick around to the end of the episode and learn how you can do that. So, like, what do you, like, what do you do? Because I feel like I can't have, I can't put uh, my finger on it. Um, creative, like as a whole, but uh, started out as a graphic designer. Wait, no, I started out liking fashion before graphic designer before like graphic design and um i was like hmm, what can i do to be in the fashion world beside doing actual fashion because i respect i have respect for people who like who do fashion and it takes a lot of craftsmanship and you know a lot of work and i don't want to interfere with that field so i always want to be doing something that can promote that and i think being a graphic designer would allow me to to work within that yeah like that's why contribute i contribute to fashion through mm-hmm. graphics mm-hmm. yeah because i see like you know raf simmons he he has a lot of um collections and all of them pretty much have some form of graphic design incorporated in all of his clothing and steve jobs um at apple he like he's kind of an engineer but all of his decisions were made um, based on aesthetic and design. So a lot of like those people inspired me to do graphic design mm, just to help the world. Yeah, just so, to, so yeah. is your graphic design, when you're, you're thinking about your graphic design, is it always going to be an application for fashion? Is that like kind of the way you think about it? Or is it just a, a, a byproduct of... Uh, observing and seeing like hey like this is an opportunity to put this type of typeface or this graphic onto apparel and this is something else that's used for like a sign for for like a storefront um it was originally for fashion because i liked fashion but now it's not much about fashion but more of a community thing where i want to make things happen 
so I can inspire people, so I can build something for the future and not just have like a cool t-shirt or, you know, a cool jacket or whatever. Yeah, when did that change? Because it feels like a lot of people, like the, the barrier to entry for any type of brand or like any type of anything is like, oh, I'm going to screen shirt, a screen print a shirt and then sell it and then that's my brand. Uh-huh. So when did you flip the switch and be like, oh, I'm doing this? I mean, not, not like you're like saving the world. But you're like, hey, like I can connect with creatives. I can do something that's um, relatable with people that enjoy my stuff. A lot of it comes from like, I think for me is school and like all the theories and all the history. Um, I see people do it in the past and they all have reached a point where they, they kind of don't want to do meaningless stuff anymore. Not, not that all the stuff that I've done before were meaningless, but I want to be, I want to, I want to do something more meaningful with the skills that that I have. Yeah. So right now, it seems like you're involved in a lot of different things. You just want to talk about what you're primarily focused on, other than school, and then maybe some of the different communities that you're a part of. Because, like I said, I was telling you off mic that it seems like you're super involved, and everything that you're involved in seems really cool, very cohesive. But I have a hard time distinguishing the difference. So. Uh, you want to elaborate on that? Um, I started VSG in 2014, and uh, that was before design school. It was just me and my friend, me and my uh, this guy named Jimmy or uh, Wong in Vietnamese. Um, we were like, oh, there was a lot of uh, Facebook group on Facebook about fashion, but none of them center around Vietnamese, center around what we actually like. So we started one, and it's called Vietnamese Street Style Group (VSSG). So um, that group started out so we can come online, talk, you know, kind of like Reddit, talk about fashion, talk about collections. Even though we didn't know, we didn't really know. We're just a bunch of young people talk about fashion, like we know a lot, but we didn't. <laughs> <laughs> you know that type. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it evolved into friendships, friends of friends and stuff like that. And um, it reached to the point where I can collaborate with a lot of friends brand who were Vietnamese. And I was able to show, hey, you know, Vietnamese can do cool stuff so this too. this is in Vietnam though, right? Not not American Vietnamese, but Viet- Vietnamese. Vietnamese, Vietnamese. So that's yeah. a distinguishing factor. Like a lot of people don't realize that they're, even for me, like someone that, considers myself to be in touch with like Vietnamese culture. Mm-hmm. Like there's this emerging young, um, talented, uh, very modern um, group of Vietnamese or not group, but just like a uh, culture of Vietnamese people that are like dressing super avant-garde. And then it's like a very Vietnamese style that's different than like what you would find in New York or LA. So when I discovered that, I was like, holy shit. Like I knew that something like this might exist, but then to see like a page like with like hundreds and thousands of photos of young Vietnamese people in the streets, I'm like, holy shit. Like, I'm not tapped into this and this is like crazy. And then I found you and then you're just like, yeah, I started that <laughs> or not started it, but you, you know, you helped kind of cultivate a culture. Yeah. Um, yeah. That was like kind of the original mission is to show the world that Vietnamese are more than just, you know, Vietnam world, poverty, third world country. And we can do like a lot of cool stuff too. And I, I was able to present that to the world with the feel that I like, which is fashion. Yeah. So you started that. What else? Uh, you you also do souvenir. Mm-hmm. So that's is that your primary um, brand or thing uh, project that you like to work on? 
Yeah, souvenir is more of the thing that I like to work on because as um, VSSG evolved, um, I'm starting to design for people instead of designing for myself because, you know, you collaborate with brands and they have standards, they have um, clients that they need to um, satisfy. So souvenir is 100% myself and I was able to really fully um, put my vision in souvenir, which is why I do 100% um, Vietnamese culture, history and art for souvenir. I don't want to interfere with anything else, just what I know and my background. Yeah. Put all of that in souvenir. So you showed me a garment and you flipped the ins- you flipped to the inside tag and you like showed me like your dad made the garment. So mm-hmm. do you want to talk about that connection or how you were able to work um, in Seattle here and then somehow connect with your dad who may not have Actually, I have no idea what your dad does, but I assume that he doesn't have like a connection or, um, you know, he's not like repping souvenir. Like he, he's just like, Hey, let, let me help my son out. Mm-hmm. So how does that, how does that work with the context where he's making all these like garments that are, um, like fashion forward, um, designs. And then he's just like an old school guy. Yeah. Um, so my, uh, it, it started with my grandfather. He was a tailor. He owns a tailor shop and somehow can feed 10 children of his with that tailor shop. So it, it must have been like, he's, he must have been really rich. Yeah, legit. Uh, yeah, legit. Um, and then it passed on to my dad. He was also a tailor. My dad met my mom at um, uh, another tailor shop. <laughs> <laughs> she, she was a student of uh, some other tailor shop. And somehow he was able to recruit her back to his tailor shop. So they they started. Who am I talking to now? Are you like a t- oh, my, my dad and yeah, my mom? Yeah, but you're like a ta- this is like a like a, a dynasty of of tailors. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm yeah. Like talking to a prince right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, they they have a tailor shop in Vietnam. They are both tailors, and I guess that's how I was raised. That's how my sense of like liking fashion started because they were both doing art, you know, wearable art, and. They make suit and you know dress pants, dress shirt, and um, I didn't really know how I could incorporate that into what I do until recently. I was like, "Huh, I wear a lot of dickies, and what are dickies? Dickies are just work shirt that look like you know dress pants. Yeah, uh, uh, work pants that look like dress pants. Yeah, yeah. So I was like, "Hey, hey, dad, can you make me these?" Um, and I explained it to him is like you know what people wear to work and it's pretty similar to dress pants and stuff like that and I give him like all the measurement he was like okay I'll make them for you so how how were you able to change because it feels doesn't when you picked it up I was like oh they're dickies but then they the material is different mm-hmm. just like the details like the inside pockets are different materials so mm-hmm. how do you make those material choices is it based on what he has available or are you like sourcing like the best stuff or like what is what dictates and drives the design for that particular piece? I I gave him like a guideline. I gave him like pictures of like Carhartt's pants, Dickies pants, you know, a lot of work pants. And then one of my friends who was in Vietnam who were into Dickies, um, always come to his shop to tailor his Dickies pants. So he knows what Dickies feels like. Yeah. So he was able to use that and his um his intellectual to go source the fabric that yeah. worked match with the aesthetic of what I was going for. Yeah. So this is this is fascinating to me. I love I love it that your dad is supportive. 
because I feel like a lot of the times, um, like Asian people or like Vietnamese people have this stereotype that like your parents like don't want you to follow your dreams and like they think that you're wasting your time, especially when it comes to art. They want you to be a doctor or whatever. Mm -hmm. But your dad is a, a seamstress or he sews, and so now you can work with him. So what is the culture within your house like is he proud of you or is he, is he does he want you to keep going or is this something that he's like okay i'll do it for you one time but like you should focus on something else um th there was a breaking point they always liked me to be a doctor or <laughs> as my mom put it do something that would you know help people and yeah and they they thought only be doctor can help people so uh, and i went to school doing like all the classes doing all the biology classes in college and i failed all of them so it was it was like <laughs> all of all of their money supporting me go to zero and i was like i need to do something that i really like i really enjoy doing and i started uh, doing graphic design at cl central which is like one of the best design program i think in the pacific northwest a lot of probably your friends and my friends go to that school go to that program too and yeah it was and then everything was good after that yeah so um just kind of I'm, i'm just super curious about just like living in vietnam and growing up there and kind of now being in america for almost 10 years like what is what are some things that you've noticed um just like when you interact with vietnamese americans or um like just culture in general because a big part of my podcast is talking about my my heritage and my background mm -hmm. where I, I seem to have this like skewed view of what it's like to be Vietnamese. But then I meet someone like you who, um, or actually to back it up a little bit, like as an Amer Vietnamese American, like being from Vietnam is not a, a cool thing. Like when I see someone like you, I'm like, Oh, he's a fob. But like mm -hmm. when I meet you, you're like super cool. And like the perception has changed a lot, especially with what I was saying about your Instagram, where you see all these young Vietnamese people and they're like a lot cooler than we give them credit. Because we just think like everyone is like from the country and you mm -hmm. wear like pajamas, you know? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But then I see you and you're like, you got a perm and I'm like, you got like <laughs> you got, like a cool outfit on. I'm like, dang, this guy knows something and even maybe more than I do. So do you have an experience with that um, dynamic, like being treated differently and then like realizing like, oh, it's because I'm I'm different? I think being here for t almost over 10 years, I think that... Um, There's, there has always been a gap between, you know, Vietnamese, Vietnamese, and Vietnamese American. And there was a point where I would, you know, kind of hate you guys because, you know, you guys are Vietnamese, born in America, super cool. And I'm like, uh, a fob. Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm an outsider. <laughs> yeah, I'm an outsider. And I'm, I'm in you guys' country and you guys probably don't want to hang out with me, you know, stuff like that. And as a young person, I would... I would always struggle with that. And sometimes I assimilate with like the Vietnamese American community. Sometimes I don't. But I think as the years progress and as the society as a whole, you know, progress, um, that gap shrink. And we at a point where you and me can have a conversation and, you know, sharing our knowledge, what, what you know, what I know. And I find that, you know, super beautiful. Yeah. Because you probably know a lot of stuff that I don't. And I probably know a lot of stuff that I don't, uh, that you don't. And it only happens if we talk to each other, I would say. Yeah. Um, 
I think that's definitely true. It's it's uh it's beautiful that like you were saying like society is closing the gap it's like so international now Mm -hmm. like that you can find a lot more vietnamese people living here that are young and there's like a there's a want for a lot of vietnamese americans to go back to vietnam Mm -hmm. to visit or like to reconnect and i have like this fantasy of living in vietnam and um going back i also i have the same thing where i i look like you immediately tell i'm not from Mm -hmm. there like the same way i can not, not you necessarily but some people you just look at them and you're like oh i know right away or like you pronounce the word like a slightly different like just like it's a feeling and so when i go back i i feel different i look different i my i physically take up more space like i'm bigger than a lot of people mm-hmm. um but yeah like then i go back and then i see like there are people that are young like listening to rap and shit and i'm like what the fuck and like people are like, I, I follow this kid that's vietnamese he's a skater I'm like, and he like knows all the same rap songs I know. I'm like, whoa! Like, somehow you're able to have Western culture in in Vietnam, and mm-hmm. and you can speak English, and like you know all the slang, and it's really it's really interesting and really strange to me. So it's like, it's beautiful to be able to see someone that's Vietnamese in America doing something that's like uh, coming from a Vietnamese childhood. Mm-hmm. Um, and you see, you see a lot of that happening at the moment. Like you see a lot of Vietnamese American, who, whose work, is referencing a lot of Vietnamese thing where it didn't happen before. Where you know, like, an Asian American would only be American or be Asian to a certain amount of Asian, and yeah. then that that would be it. But now you see people, you know, fully ex- explore what their heritage is, yeah. and you see people who explore what the next thing could be. And that's nice. <laughs> yeah, it's hard for, as a Vietnamese American to not like. For instance, on this podcast, I I don't like making this the focus, like her, like heritage or identity, like my my identity. But it's like such a big part of the way I think, and mm-hmm. it's like almost like two personalities, right? I have to separate them. But now that I have the platform to kind of just like talk the way I want to, um, it just comes out way more. And so I think. That's what you're saying. Like I'm referencing a lot of the things that I think I know about or what my parents have taught me. And now I'm mm-hmm. like digging deeper to figure out like what does this even mean? Mm-hmm. So it's just interesting. Like, like do you have an experience with like your perception of Vietnamese? Like what is your perception of Vietnamese Americans other than like, hey, like they don't accept me. But like when you see them, like how are we different um, than like a Vietnamese person growing, in, growing up in Vietnam? Um, I have respect for you guys because you guys have dealt with more racism. Oh, racism? Yeah, than us as, you know, Vietnamese, Vietnamese, because I don't know, you guys seem, because living in America is fun, but it's not fun at the same time. Like, can you elaborate on that? Um, You know, as I learn about racism and how um, America was able to do what they call in institutional racism, like not in your face racism, but how the system would be racist towards you um and you guys have to live with that for your whole life and still be cool and still be asian in your own way i find that very nice yeah i guess i I never thought about that like there are a lot of things where you have to deal with racism but it's just part of life you just say okay like i'm just not like the white dude is gonna get more respect or whatever and the asian guy is just like you know weak and Mm-hmm. you know soft not you know not attractive and that's just part of life and i guess there are points where i struggle with that i'm like oh like no one likes me 
<laughs> but when you're coming from Vietnam where everyone around you is Vietnamese, mm -hmm. you don't have to deal with that. Mm -hmm. And I, yeah, and I only have to deal with it when I'm in the US, which is like when I'm already like older. Whereas you guys have to deal with that from like when you were born. Yeah. What's the experience like um, for you just coming from Vietnam and like living here? Like what do you find to be uh, alarming or different or, you know, advantageous for you as a Vietnamese person? Mm, one of the things that I've noticed um, throughout the years is uh, this is like completely off topic, but uh, um, in Vietnam, there's this hierarchy structure where where you know you have a doctor and then people would respect that doctor because of what he knows and his background and all that stuff whereas in america you can have wow. respect for everybody and sometimes that can be a good thing sometimes that can be a bad thing because you know that doctor might knows more about certain things but you but in america you you listen to many people So I don't know, I find that, and I, I have to find a balance between that, between, you know, being very democracy about yeah. stuff or to listen to this one guy who's very knowledgeable about that one thing. So yeah, yeah, you have a hard time like understanding like who is the person that has the best information. Mm -hmm. um, that's, that's really interesting. I never even considered that to be a problem, like a, not a problem, but like a, a difference where here we have so much resource and so much ability to choose what we want to mm -hmm. yeah and back i guess back there is that i guess like you're like yeah like this person is the expert you have to like i guess that's kind of the way like a family is built like mm -hmm. your father your mother is like the boss yeah and they know everything mm -hmm. and you have to listen to them um one of the example you can picture is uh if you're on a boat and the captain of the boat would tell people what to do do you listen to that captain or you listen to everybody else Uh -huh. And then that boat can sink. Yeah. Yeah. I guess so it, it's, it's hard. Yeah. It's not like a yes, no question. It's not like a right or wrong question, but you always have to find a balance between those two things. Yeah. So now that you've been living here and then going back, how often do you go back? Not often. The oh. last time I went back is 2010. Dang. Yeah. So <laughs> I guess like, have you found yourself adopting a lot more uh, American beliefs and then like going, talking to people, friends back home or your your par your parents and be like oh like we don't see eye to eye anymore because of the of the influence i've i've gained in america yeah i'm i'm aware of that but um i always try to communicate with my family as much as i can so um and you know as as older or as and as more educated i get i think that there's a lot of asian things that we should learn Sure. Like, what? What would they be? Um. Uh, can't think of anything right now, but um. Oh, uh, you know, medicines. Like a lot of um, uh, in Vietnam, especially in Vietnam, um, we would think that Western medicine is the superior. Oh really? Yeah. Yeah. Like, thuốc tây is the best. Like, oh, you, wow. if you're like a scientific person, you would get thuốc tây. Yeah. Instead of like thuốc bắc or thuốc nam, like so thuốc bắc thuốc bắc is like Chinese medicine. Thuốc yeah, tây like is like, like European or, or yeah. American. Um. Yeah. And if you Western. Yeah. And if you do more research here, you would find that a lot of doctor in America would you know go try now thuốc bắc or thuốc nam. Yeah. Just to see, just to get more knowledge. 
so so at that moment, t u k t a i is no longer the best. So you thinking you're thinking in America we should try more the more Asian mm-hmm. medicines mm-hmm. okay that's interesting because or like, more Asian approach not just medicine okay yeah but for example like uh like lion you know lion's mane it's like a it's like a, a mushroom mm-hmm. and it's been used in like Chinese medicine for like thousands of years mm-hmm. but now it's like becoming popular in in America and like they're selling it in all, everywhere I'm like we've been using this for a long time and it's considered um like almost like magic. Or mm-hmm. like you know, play play medicine where a lot of Asian medicines like acupuncture or um, like that's becoming popular or like um, cupping, mm-hmm. like a lot of that stuff is like stuff that my parents did on me, you know. Mm-hmm. And now like you see and, like yeah, wh- probably five years ago people would be like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, and now there's like white girls like getting that done, you know, and they have like the bruises and stuff. So. It's really interesting that you say that because um, I think it's like a, it goes in waves with trends, you know. Yeah, and it's good that people get exposure to that, but it's not good that it's a trend, you know. Because I don't want my culture to be a trend. I want people to learn from it. Yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah it's interesting. Uh, it's hard. It's hard to uh, differentiate what is um, li- like just a trend. It's someone just wanting to copy it or like make money off of it versus like if you're actually Applying it correctly in the way that um, is meant to be used. Like I think about yoga, for instance. It's it's supposed to be like a religious thing, and and then there's like people that have like namaste bitches, uh, like placemat or like a, a door like a doormat, you know, mm-hmm. like and like and then anyone could be a yoga instructor. And so I wonder, like, I mean, it's become its own thing, and that's fine. But it's just funny how things get twisted and turned sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, just for like consumption in, in in a cultural way, a cultural consumption of like American culture. But yeah, I don't. I don't, we don't have to talk about uh, Vietnamese American culture like the whole podcast. But it's, to me, it's just something that uh, I finally get to sit down with a young person that has lived in both places, mm-hmm. and then also doing something that I can relate to or appreciate. So um, yeah, is there anything that you wanted to to cover that we didn't cover with like your brands? Because or The people, uh, the people that you're involved with, or do you want to talk about fashion? We didn't, we didn't really talk about much about fashion. Oh, um, we can, yeah. I mean, I'm not really a, fa- a fashion guy. Like, I don't, I appreciate fashion, but I don't, I don't know like all the the big names and stuff. I, honestly, I'm just broke. So, like, <laughs> or like for a long time, I didn't have money, so I just would buy whatever is available. Mm-hmm. So, um, I have friends that are like much more into it. And last night I interviewed Nin from Made in War, so mm-hmm. I have the ability to talk on fashion, but I mean, if you, I feel like you're more into it, so I would love for you to like take the floor or like kind of um, just like rip rip the mic. <laughs> um, I don't really have anything. To say. <laughs> if you have a question, I... yeah. Um, well, like w- in terms of like when you want to create apparel, like what what is really driving that? Because like touching back on trends. A lot of that stuff is just what was hot at the moment. So, are you designing for longevity? Are you designing for a particular audience? Because um, I noticed in Vietnam, like the old school dress, it's very French inspired. Mm-hmm. So a lot of like dress clothes. So like you would find like a, chi- a pleated chino, very thin, very wavy, but then also like uh, like a dress shirt, and that's like a classic, like very gentleman like outfit that like my mom would always want me to wear clothes like that. And looking back in the photos, it looks great. Like. Even men now dress like that. Older men, like mm-hmm. in in their forties, fifties, and I feel I find that to be a very French inspired thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but the funny thing is, like, 
that man will also wear like sandals. You know, it's very Vietnamese. You know, and so yeah. um, when I see like young people dressing in Vietnam, I see that influence um, kind of bleed over, where it's more of like a European, mm-hmm. more of like a um, a dressing up uh, kind of aesthetic and less of like a streetwear where you'll find like in america where the people are wearing more sneakers more um logo like supreme more like hats like fitted hats mm-hmm. um so yeah like is that can you talk about how that's influenced you and maybe like the aesthetic that you've kind of brought over from vietnam um okay let's go back to uh the beginning of time um, <laughs> vietnam has always been influenced by other countries you know, 4,000 years ago, you know, the first Vietnamese language, it, you probably think it would be like the Chinese um, character, Vietnamese, yeah. you know, but it's not. It was the, if you think about, you know, Cambodian or Laos or Thai, Thai language, that's the original Vietnamese. It's called Okay. And it looks, it looks like a, it's, it looks like a circle with the thing. It's like more like Thai? Yeah, more like Thai. Okay. And, and that was the original language of Vietnam. And then China came along, take over Vietnam, burn every book, destroy every documentation of that language, and make everybody learn Chinese. And Vietnam, Vietnamese was able to somehow adopt that and make Chữ Hang Vi, which is the Chinese character Vietnamese language. How long ago was that? Probably 4,000 years ago. Oh, dang. So a long time ago. A long time ago. Okay. So um, is this what you learn in school? Or is this stuff that research. you... Research. Oh, you've done like, it yourself. If, like when I do that pains about language, I research. But you the don't, they don't teach us stuff in school. No. Whoa, that's crazy. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. So the Chinese came over, they mm-hmm. burned everything, and then they taught everyone Chinese. Mm-hmm. And then what? And then the Vietnamese, you know, raised up and invented which is the Chinese character Vietnamese. And then in the 17th century, I would say, um, European came along and, you know, all the, 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 the priests from Catholic Church, they came to Vietnam and, you know, they have to find a way to communicate to the Vietnamese. So they invented Latin-based Characters, character yeah. that would somehow translate the Vietnamese di- dialogue into whatever they can write or read. And that later became Vietnamese, the official language of Vietnamese. Yeah, the of mod- modern, modern Roman, mm-hmm. Roman mm-hmm. text. Yeah. And so, so with that history in mind, you have to know that Vietnam has always been influenced by other countries, but we always somehow manage to finesse around that and make something beautiful using whatever they know at the time. And I think at this point, we're doing the same thing with fashion too. Where whereas you see a lot of Western, a lot of, you know, hip hop, streetwear, skate, stuff like that in Vietnam. But somehow it feels very Vietnamese. And we're only at the beginning of that transition. So you you probably see more and more Vietnamese reference as as we go. More and more clothing that will look like souvenir. But I find that very nice. I find it very beautiful. Yeah. Um can you describe maybe what the difference is for you? Like that you, like the essence of what that, I mean, it's going to be really difficult to pinpoint probably, but just like, what is the difference between, you know, the way I dress and the versus like if I were to like live in Vietnam, 
I mean, maybe the weather is a big factor because it's a lot hotter there. Mm-hmm. But just generally, like the aesthetic with the fit and maybe the material choice, the applic- the context of where people will be wearing this stuff. Um, because to me, it looks really fancy, like not fancy, but a little looks a little bit more um, like more button ups, more uh, chinos, like that kind of thing. In Vietnam or in America? In Vietnam. That's what I noticed, at least. I would say they wear a lot of. Uh, you know, cotton t-shirt and jeans and pants. That's why you see like a lot of streetwear brands is because it's easy to wear in Vietnam. Also, you see less of like fleece or down jackets. Yeah, of <laughs> course it's not. You know, so a a lot of American thing got a lot of Western thing got adopted to Vietnam, but there's a filter and only a certain amount of things that would pass that. You know, like t-shirt would pass. You know, Dickies pants or any kind of je- Levi jeans would pass. Sure. Yeah. So kind of touching back on the fact that your dad is a seamstress and a lot of Vietnamese or a lot of products in America are made in Vietnam. So a lot of garments, a lot of factories. And there's something interesting about that because when you look at a tag, it says made in Vietnam. And then you go to Vietnam. I've been to Vietnam. I'm like, where is all this shit being made? Right. It's all these people that will never wear any of this clothes. And so what is your perception or what is your opinion about that dynamic where there's like these poor um people that are like in factories making luxury items that um never get to wear them and then also like do you have like do those people have connections to like and access to like those factories to create their own product like how does that work with like like back back uh, door deals or like you know your friends like going to those companies being like hey like, I know someone in there like can you make me a garment yes <laughs> it, yeah like all of the thing you said it's, it's <laughs> already happening. happened yeah like at the moment a lot of um because we have always have a lot of skill set we have always have a lot of factories but we never know what to do with them we always get to get told by you know other like West, western country to like manufacture this manufacture that but we never have like a Vietnamese person in Vietnam go to those factory make the same quality product like that but it's it's changing a lot of um, a lot of my friends who owns brands in Vietnam has already has access to those factory and they make the same quality products as like Palace or Stussy or you know Supreme stuff like that so it's gonna change more and more but it's It's only at the beginning and they already have access to those things. And I, I always like things that are made in Vietnam more than, cause you know, I, you know, you wear nice, a nice shirt and you know, it's made in your the country of your origin. So yeah. it's, it's nice. And now you're able to have the same quality with the brand that's owned by your friends. Yeah. That, that, that would be, that would be nicer. So, um, uh, with the backdoor things and stuff like that. It's already happening and people are aware of that. That's why when people do pattern making for their products, they always get them destroyed afterwards because, oh. because you know, plagiarism yeah, I is noticed, a huge part. Yeah, I noticed that in Vietnam, like, you see a lot of fake stuff. But I'm like, why is it all fake and not all real? Because it would make sense that if all the Nikes are being made in Vietnam, that all the shoes sold on the streets which should be the real nikes mm-hmm. but when you pick them up they're like they weigh like three times as much like the sole is like chunky and mm-hmm. fake feeling like why do they look the same but they feel and 
don't perform as well. So what is the disconnect there? Like, why aren't we just getting like cheap, real stuff on the streets? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and we've been getting cheap real stuff, but it's always getting mixed in with like you know the fake stuff. They probably have the same pattern, but went to like a factory next door to make the fake product. So they're just making it cheaper. Yeah, they're just like, hey, I have like the Supreme. Uh, screen but just use like the shittier t-shirt mm-hmm, yeah okay so it's not a lack of it's just more of a lack of resources or mm-hmm. it's like i don't want to spend a bunch of money so where do you have access to like the real good stuff like the real stussy coming off the line that like your home not you in particular but do you know people that are like hey like i have like the real chanel hookup is that like a real thing do, do you know the um the g-dragon air force one that just came out uh-huh. yeah yeah um few months ago, um, I think the shoes are made in Vietnam. A few months ago, no, not a few months, like more like a year ago, it was already, you know, circulating, circulating and Chinese company would come to Vietnam to buy those off to, you know, China to make, you know, fake or whatever. Uh-huh. But um, yeah, that, that kind of thing has already happening. And wait, what's the question? Again? This is just like the fact that you you might have like a friend in the co- in the factory and like their black market deals where they can like sell you real real stuff like why doesn't that happen more is it really difficult um, in the factories to like sneak stuff out yeah i think i think it's difficult cuz even cuz they've been doing that for like 5 years now and even with this you know G Dragon Nike um it's, it's it's still hard for them to like leak information or you have to go through like third person third person in order to get that product it's not like you get it straight from the factory out. yeah because it's they, they could be losing their jobs if yeah you know. i guess it's like any crooked cop or a crooked doctor you yeah, know yeah. but it just to me it's so fascinating because it seems like so much shit is there and then i'm like why aren't why isn't it just like all over the place like why aren't you just getting like why aren't, isn't, aren't the kids in Vietnam wearing real Stussy, but they're real, wearing fake Stussy? I guess it doesn't mm-hmm. matter in the end. Mm-hmm. It still says Stussy exactly the same <laughs> as it was if yeah. it was real. Yeah. Yeah, I think branding doesn't matter that much. Um, like, if you get older, you see, like, older people, like, self-aware older people would be like, I don't need any friend. Yeah. You know, you, you wear one shirt for, like, your whole life or whatever. Um but yeah, going back to the the real and fake stuff, um, I think Western companies are aware of the things that you know Asian people could be doing, so they they be, they make it very strict for anybody to leak anything, even though they they're still able to leak out stuff. It's hard. Yeah. So you mentioned that a lot of your friends um, have been taking advantage of you know the resources and the vendors and the manufacturing in Vietnam. Are there anybody are there any people that you would think that are doing a really good job in vietnam right now that people in america should be aware of or keep an eye out for for like brands or, or just like fashion brands or just anything cool that's happening there that maybe um is that like, can translate to american culture where you're like oh like this is high level or this is really um this is really cool it, yeah it used to be a time where i don't i don't know what's the exact term but you know vietnam would always get the, you know where where they release you know top tier stuff to like cool country Vietnam would get like whatever you know you know off you know not it's it's still Nike it's still Adidas but you know not as good products mm-hmm. but now you see that's changing you know 
Yeezy is in Vietnam now. They they can sell Yeezys there now. Um, I think big brands are aware of like the potential that we have. So, and it used to be like, um, you know, Nike and Adidas would have like a factory, uh, would have like a headquarter in Hong Kong or somewhere, and that fact that headquarter would control the Vin- Vietnamese market. Whereas now you see more more office of like big brands Nike and Adidas in Vietnam doing community work, you know, really involved in the scene. So you you, you know that they are very aware of the situation, the the things that we were capable of. Yeah. Yeah. How is that how is the presence of those big companies, international companies like kind of shaped, you know, your upbringing or the people uh, that you know, like, are people really impressed by those brands, or are they are they just like a company, a brand that just exists in Vietnam and like it's just a job? It's just something that we they have to do to make money, or do people like, oh, I want to work for Nike really bad, like it's really cool, I love like all their products. I think Vietnamese people are very easy to to get impressed. So like like I said earlier, if Nike or Adidas would drop like a like a tier four or tier five shoes, they would already be like. Oh, Nike and Adidas, stuff like that. But uh, some, some, you know, some aware people would would aware that Nike and Adidas are making good efforts into, you know, really trying to get into the market and not just, you know, think of us as like, oh, that's that's the Vietnamese market. Just put some put something there. Yeah, just like the lo- like stuff that's like. Maybe just you know, just like hey, just throw some product there. Maybe they'll buy it. Like yeah, they, yeah. They, there's not like a really it, big market for mm-hmm. like high high profile mm-hmm. um, like collaborations or mm-hmm. whatever. Yeah, and it yeah, it used to be like that. It used to be we, we get downplayed by a lot of big companies, but it's changing. Yeah, I think that Vietnam has like this weird dynamic where uh, the rich, the richest of the rich, live amongst the poorest of the poor. Like you walk down the street mm-hmm. in the city, and like there's a man. I guess it happens here in America quite often too, but um, there's like someone like lying on the ground begging for money. And then there's like someone like with Louis Vuitton, everything. And you're like, whoa, mm-hmm. you see it. And it's like so different. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's a very crowded country. So you see a lot of that contrast more like yeah. where in America, you would, you know, you go outside and you don't, you don't see like a lot of people, but you go outside in Vietnam and you see that contrast like everywhere. Yeah. It's like packed in there. And like, uh-huh. even like your house is next to like someone's little shack re- next to someone's mansion, like yeah. right next to each other. And it's hard not to notice. And it's hard not to wonder like how the culture is moving on in two different directions. Like there's like that traditional Vietnamese idea, you know, um, and like the way someone dresses is some, the way that someone might have family dynamic. Mm-hmm. And then you have like another one where it's like progressive and like the family like um, is out on vacation and they're like traveling and you're like whoa that doesn't seem like a very Vietnamese ideal where um, you're like spending your money you know enjoying yourself mm-hmm. so how does that I mean in America I feel like that's like the whole thing like we like spend all our money um, on experiences and like go out to eat in nice restaurants um, is there like a is there like an uh, adoption of uh, Western culture more and more in the young people? Um, yeah, I'll, I'll think so. Um, like you said earlier, it's, it's very individuality in America. Like yeah. you could be doing your own thing and, and you know, the next person would, wouldn't mind or, you know, whatever they think wouldn't affect that person doing their things. 
but um, in Vietnam, it's, it's not like that. It's more group thing. It's more um, one dialogue. So anybody who do that has to be super brave. You know, like I'm enjoying myself. I have to be really brave to enjoy myself. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, I'll get judged by other people. But uh, but yeah, that's one aspect of it. But the other aspect, um, I would say if they do that, they would also need to help the community. So, so I guess that's why it's so, it's so important for you to create community because then you have more support. Yeah, and and you know, like I get all the education I have, and if I don't contribute that to like anybody else, that 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 would be very unvietnamese. Yeah. So a part of you is like, hey, like I'm doing this for other people, not just me. Mm -hmm. So I guess when you dress the way you dress, or like maybe you get a tattoo or pierce your ears or whatever, and then you go back, or people in Vietnam that exist like that and are being judged, like what is that feeling? Are you do you feel like comfortable or do you feel like a rebel? Like what is the what is the feeling of like making those decisions? Or is it is it like is it gonna like potentially ruin your relationship with a lot of people? Yeah, yeah. I I would think that a person who have like a lot of tattoo in Vietnam are more brave than like a person with a lot of tattoo in the U.S. because they have to deal with like the judgment every single day by you know anybody. Sometimes it can be like direct in your face. Sometimes you know you go to a job um, interview and they wouldn't hire you because you have tattoos and stuff like that. Yeah, when I went to Vietnam. I have like a big chest tattoo, like big, big. It's like covers like a lot, and I like, took off my shirt, and no one said anything to me or like no. I was surprised, you know. I was surprised that no one even like pointed or looked, and so there's like moments where I was like, oh, this is different than I thought. But when I was young, I would go maybe I was like 16, like people would, like touch me. They're like, oh, are you real? Like, like you look different, and they just say it to my face. You know, and mm -hmm. or, or they'll. I think in Vietnam, there's like a different type, different rules, right, of social interaction where they're much more blunt. They'll be like, I'm "Not gonna hire you. Don't like your hair." Like, "Nope, you smell bad." You know, they just say stuff where it's like, it's not very politically correct. They mm -hmm. just say it, they can say like, no, uh, "No, I don't like your feel. I don't like your vibe," mm -hmm. and it's not gonna hire you. And then you're like, "Okay, I guess that's that's it." <laughs> yeah, I guess this is over. So I think coming to America now, like there's like a little bit of order. Mm -hmm. um, but with that order, there's a little bit of that racism that's kind of built in or a lot of the disadvantages built in. Like how have you been successful in America and kind of adapting to it? Because you said you have a hard time because here you kind of can be who you want. Mm -hmm. So like how have you expanded some of the ideas um, that you weren't able to explore in Vietnam, whether it be like religion or um, like, like drugs. I feel like here it's a lot more open or like music or things that you're like, oh shit, like I, no one's gonna stop me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's, I'll say it's more freedom here, but it, you have to be like really conscious about making decisions and stuff like that because you can be anything you want in, you know, in America. Um, whereas in Vietnam, they have like, you know, societies, social guidelines where you have to follow. And I'm, that's why I'm, I'm like really in touch with both sides Vietnam and America so I I can find a balance between where I don't like go completely like random and do er anything or where I you know like follow every order yeah so what are some aspects of America that you're like 
very fascinated with. We were like, whoa, like, I've never been exposed to this, and this is something that I'm really interested in. Hmm. I guess, like, oh, this might be sensitive. That's okay. Um, we, can, we can cut it out. If it's we... okay. Um, <laughs> freedom of politics. Oh. Oh, yeah. Go, that's like... Yeah, that's like a uh, standard. That yeah, that's like the only thing I would say. So what's the difference? Um you for you. You don't talk about politics at all in Vietnam. In what way? Like not even mention what? Um not even. Uh I would say Can you get in trouble for saying this on mic? No, it's okay. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you like, can't not... get back into Vietnam? Maybe. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> um like the Hong Kong stuff that happened, um, recently some of my friends on facebook would be like i don't even know what to eat for breakfast why do i have to i have to care about politics and i, I find that like why would you say that <laughs> <laughs> but there's some people who say that yeah so politics is not something that is programmed for vietnamese to think so when I, when people go outside of vietnam and they start to get um exposure to politics they became like Wow, like there's, there's like there's a whole lot of you know like a part of life where you can discuss about this stuff. Yeah. So I guess what is the difference between living in a communist country and then a a free country, a country that's like you have the freedom to choose? Um can you describe why a lot of people are trying to flee communism because to me like after the war I I don't really understand like it seems like Vietnam is everyone's happy, you know, everyone's like okay. But why is it something that no one wanted? It's because our brain is never programmed to think politics. So, so that part is completely gone since the beginning. So we don't we don't think politics at all. So we don't. We, you accept. Yeah, we we don't get the sense of something is missing because it's it's never there at the beginning. So so when I get so when you know like a lot of Western people ask that question is. It was just never there. We don't, we don't, we don't miss it because it's never there. Wow. Yeah, I, I know it's kind of um, scary to think about it, but um, if you live in Vietnam, you you will understand like there's more to life than you know to think about politics, even though it's very important. Yeah, I think that's the difference between a lot of um, for me, Vietnamese culture and American culture, where. Um, you don't like my parents. Like they don't. They're not. They don't care who the president is. Like do, they like Donald Trump. Like who cares? Mm-hmm. Like to them, it's not because they don't care. Like they don't care about life. They're just like life will go on, mm-hmm. and I will. Go, I will fight through anything, and it doesn't matter who's in in office. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, and that's that's the nice part about you know being Asian because, you know, you you see your parents and you see your grandparents. They think past that. They think past whatever we think yeah they don't get hung up on it Uh they're just like what's the big deal like i'm it's always going to be hard it's always going to be different and if you just if you always get upset then you'll never be able to do what you want to do you just need to like keep there's always a a new problem you just find a new solution Mm -hmm. that's really interesting that i guess yeah coming from vietnam you have like the the option to choose now Mm -hmm. and yeah and i i don't i don't choose like oh you know i I like America now. I like their politics and Vietnamese, you know, Vietnamese scene is bad, you yeah, know. It's just different. I, yeah, I always find the balance. Like you see that um the design I work with my girlfriend Yui, shout out. Yeah, shout um, outs. 
um, this person, her name is Song Wen, and she she writes a lot of poems about being a mom, being a mother, take care of her family, and how she always has to deal with war and stuff like that. And she was a person on the communist side, but she was able to speak um, against the war, and I find that very nice. So I, you know, it's not like all communists are bad, you know, stuff like that. But you always have to find the correct thing in, you know, all parties mm -hmm. and somehow incorporate that because, you know, you can be a communist and being a good mom and care about the country. It's not like you are 100% bad yeah. because you're a communist. That's a good, that's a good segue into like American politics where if you're, a Democrat versus Republican. Like, if you're a Republican in, in the Northwest, like, you're evil. Mm -hmm. It's not just because you're Republican doesn't mean that you can't be a good Yeah, person. because once you say that, you kind of end the conversation and not, nothing gets shared. No knowledge is being passed because, like, oh, you're evil. I'm not going to talk to you. Yeah. Yeah. What is your relationship with um, the freedom flag of Vietnam and then the communist flag? Because I, I kind of equate it to the... Uh, confederate flag in america are you familiar with that mm -hmm. and then how a lot of people still in the south um fly it even though that it's not it's it's not direct racism but it is a symbol of racism like the person that's flying it may not um may not be racist but mm -hmm. they have the roots of the flag is in racism so it's associated with racism when i think about the freedom flag of vietnam it's the the three stripes the re three red stripes uh, that you'll actually see a lot in Seattle. Mm -hmm. You see them everywhere. Mm -hmm. And does that surprise you? Are you is that yeah. scary to you? Yeah, it's yeah, it surprised me because um uh my mom and dad used to have like DVDs of like, you know, you know, Paris by Night. Yeah. Yeah, Paris by Night, Asia. And you know, in those I don't think Paris by Night, but in Asia, they would sing a lot about soldier, fallen yeah. soldier, and they would have that flag like in the background. Yeah. Yeah. And my mom and dad would joke about, you know, cops can come and get us because we have that video playing. Yeah. And I never know what it meant. Because <laughs> <laughs> I was like five or six years old. Yeah. And and then as I got older, I started to realize, oh, that's the flag of the, you know, South Vietnam. And when I came to America, that flag was everywhere. So how does that how does that make you feel? Um like what does it mean? Like can you explain at, to people the, what that flag means? Yeah. At the beginning, um it I I feel like oh these people are obsessed with the past because and and we were programmed to think that, you know, on Facebook, if you go on if you if you go on Facebook, you would say you would you would saw people who who say that Vietnamese in America are obsessed with, you know, the past because you they lose. Nah, nah, they yeah, don't they, have. Yeah, they lost. Yeah. but they can't get over it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but as I as I live here more and more, I start to see, oh, your whole family, your whole heritage is based on that period of time. How how are you gonna lose that? You know. Yeah. That's that's your that's your story. Yeah. And that's a lot of people's story around that flag. So yeah. it's beautiful that is here because yeah. it's it's a part of. Vietnamese history, you know? Yeah, it's interesting because, like, like I said, I equate it a lot to the Confederate flag where the South or the Confederate Army lost. And they're essentially, I mean, they were considered the bad guys. And in this story, in the Vietnamese story, the people in America were the bad guys fighting, trying to fight communism who essentially won. 
So they're the good guys. So right now, we're the losers, we're the bad guys, and we, we live in America, and we still represent, we still wave the flag. People get it tattooed on their body. You know, it's like something that only I, like, I don't, I don't necessarily identify with the Vietnamese flag, the, the current one, the one, the mm-hmm. red one with the star, mm-hmm. because that's that like communism. Mm-hmm. But then you go to Vietnam and everybody, mm-hmm. that flag is everywhere. And to mm-hmm. me, I'm like, oh, like, it's hard to figure out, like, what side I want to be on. Do I want to give in to communism? Because I've always been told that's bad. Mm-hmm. My parents don't trust, like, Northerners still. Mm-hmm. And, like, I remember I wanted to buy, like, a, a shirt with Ho Chi Minh on it. And my dad's like, oh, they'll put you in jail. And I was like, what's the big deal? In here? In in, in, in Vietnam. In jail in America? Um, yeah, yeah, well, I, w- I went to Vietnam and I was like, hey, can I buy this shirt? My dad's like, no, don't buy that shirt. It's a, a shirt of uh, Ho Chi Minh. And then he's like, no, 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 like, don't buy that. And so mm-hmm. there's, like, a, a little bit of trauma or, like, a little bit of... Um, fear still like kind of based in that imagery of like the the communist flag so can you explain kind of like what that has turned into for you as like growing up like you see like the the freedom flag and then you see uh, the vietnamese the current vietnamese flag is that just like normal to you do you ever think about that outside of like you know yeah we just talked about i always have to think about that um yeah like like i talked to you and that three stripes Vietnamese flag is normal. But I go on my Facebook, I talk to Vietnamese people and the star one is normal. So I always have to like, how do I navigate? Yeah, so when you're here, would you ever wear like a Vietnamese uh, red flag with a yellow star here? No. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's hard because then to to people in America, you're the bad guy. Mm-hmm. Like no one, no one flies that flag here. Yeah. So, yeah. and then you go back, you you would never find one of, you, of you the get, three strikes. Yeah, back, would yeah. you be able? To, would you be put in jail for that? Yeah, you'll be put in jail for. But for how long? I don't know. A long time. Is that super and, serious? Yeah, that's yeah, that's that's considered. You know, you trying to take over Vietnam. <laughs> <laughs> wow, it's like to me, it's incredible um, because people still can't fly the flag, like the Confederate flag. People might not like it, but people can, mm-hmm. and you have the freedom to, to choose. Mm-hmm. So it's a really interesting dynamic in that way where the civil war um sim- similar to america but people can still fly you know and choose their political beliefs through that i think vietnam is the only country in the world where we have we still have that problem until this day oh really Nah, i'm pretty sure there's like so many countries out there with like rebel because, forces and whatnot i mean like but like yeah i guess with the flag thing yeah because yeah because you the the star flag is the official one but then more people resonate with the other flag you don't see that happening. Okay. Yeah. yeah, I see that. So for you and your parents, like your parents from the South, so how do they feel about it? Do they, um, are they like totally over it? Or do they like secretly like have like a, a three-stripe flag in their house? Or like, you not, know, not, they, not like, not like actually having a three-stripe flag, but we, we, we talk about it, you know, once in a while. We talk about like, um, what it was like in Saigon back in the day, stuff like that. And I would never understand what my mom would say, but now I like... Like, what would she say? She would say like, oh, you know, um, all the textbook is now from the North. Um, that's the standard now. You know, she would always like, com- like little complain about, you know, stuff like that. And I was like, I don't understand. Yeah. But now, you know, I start to understand. And um, I'm I'm a skeptic because of her trade like she's a skeptic too <laughs> but yeah and um i i find it 
cool that I'm a skeptic because I'm able to explore more stuff. Yeah. So when you think about the flag, how do you feel about it? Like, do you, like you said, like, oh, people are stuck in the past, but are you like, oh, that's like what I want to be? I want to, like, that three stripes is like, identify with that more. That's like more my personality. Like, do people view the South or like the, the freedom um, flag as like, hey, they're losers, like, get them out of here? Like we won. Is that like the same way that like a lot of Americans feel about the South here? Where they're like, Confederate flag sucks, get it out of here, burn it, like get yeah. rid of it. There's a lot of like like that mob mentality. Like a lot of people would think like, Oh, you know, losers, whatever. Um, you know, if you lose, you go to America and you do nails. You know, <laughs> you know, a lot of, you know, offensive Damn, stuff like that. Good. That's a good roast. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And I like that. <laughs> <laughs> it's like very true. <laughs> I don't. I don't find it funny yeah. at all. I think um, it's super funny. It's like it's like kind of true. You're like, dang, there are a lot of Vietnamese people doing nails here. Yeah. Um. Like. So it's like people view them as like low class or. Yeah. Kind of just like oh, you have no better options. Mm-hmm. And if you go to America, you see that it's not true. Like, yeah, obviously. Yeah. It's just funny, to me, because like I live it and I have relatives and and then you're like, dang. That's like a good, that, that's that, a good roast. That saying is, "Thắng làm vua, thua làm nail." <laughs> that, that's so. The, good. the original is "Thắng làm vua, thua làm giặc," but oh, they change it to nails. Yeah, it's funny that uh, nail, like when you say "I do nail," like when a Vietnamese person says that, it's just English, not like a Vietnamese. Like you don't say "mom tai," you say "nail." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thui làm nail. You know, it's like, it's like, it's like an English word. It's funny how a lot of English like leaks into Vietnamese culture without even realizing it. Because mm-hmm. I go to Vietnam and they'll speak English without even knowing that it's English. I feel like, like, and then vice versa. Like here, my parents will like use Vietnamese English as as if it was Vietnamese. Like they're just, I'm like, that's English. <laughs> they get mad at me. They're like, you need to speak more Vietnamese. I'm like, you just spoke English. So, do they call that English or something? I don't know. Yeah. Viet, Viet English. Viet English. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, I always have to reference both both sides like you know the the burning monk one yeah the, the burning monk event that was against the south vietnam government for not being able to practice freedom of religion oh that, gotcha. so so somewhat it was on the communist side but it that event alone is very powerful oh yeah so there's a lot of you know stuff on both sides that you can learn from okay cool so um as a Vietnamese American going to Vietnam, what is your perception of me? Not you in particular, but I guess like Vietnamese people. Like, what is the, like, what do people think of people like me? Like a Viet Kiu? Is it a positive thing? Negative thing? Um, Probably positive, but um, I read this article a long time ago where they say Vietnam might be more racist than in the U.S. and they explain if you're a Vikil, if you're like a very high educated, you know, American born Vietnamese or Asian, go to Vietnam and you find a, prof- a teacher job teaching English, you might not get the job and the job might go to a white guy who doesn't have any degree in teaching or whatever, but he's just white. So they pick the guy instead of picking you where you can, where you're like fully trained for that position. Um, so that that was one of the scenario where even though you're a Vicky, you might still lose to like a white guy or whatever. Yeah. But you see a lot of Vicky going to go to Vietnam for work, 
for for the passion, their hobbies at the moment because it's like a hub for creativity or at least getting outside of America. Yeah, I think it's interesting that you bring up that Vietnamese people might be more racist than Americans, and I think that's interesting because my parents are very, very, very transparent about race. They'd be like, "Oh, like black guy, oh Mexican guy," like they. They they are more free about expressing the difference, which I think in America or Americans will blanket the racism. They'll be like, "I'm not racist, but like you know, there's a black guy, mm-hmm. and maybe you should be careful, you know." But my parents will just be like, "No, there's a black guy. Don't do that." Or like, "Hey, like white guy, you know that we call like people like white, black. It's like a lot more." straightforward and i think there's something beautiful about that because you can acknowledge the fact that there's a race difference mm-hmm. without actually needing to make it about race if that makes sense mm-hmm. like yeah. you can just acknowledge the fact that they're different and not just be like oh we're all equal when we clearly aren't like yeah. when we clearly treat people differently based on the way they look but we blanket it as like we're trying to be fair like um in vietnam is only like mostly vietnamese people so you don't have to deal with a lot of that difference so when there is a difference. It's a lot easier to be racist, I think. Mm-hmm. Where you're like, you clearly are the only black guy in this building right now. We're going to stare at you. We're going to touch you. We're going to, like, you know, do like, take a picture with you. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's it's interesting, an interesting dynamic when you live in America and you're exposed and expected to, like, get along with everyone. Mm-hmm. And more um, in America, you would be more politically correct, even though your mind sometimes isn't. And that can be very harmful. Like if you see like an Asian older person, they they'll say like you like oh that's a black guy oh that's a Mexican guy and and that'll be it. They they would they would they would not think of anything else. Whereas you know like a white person would be like would not say anything, but you know they have all the things going on in their heads. Yeah, and like they they will their actions won't match like their words. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not scared, but then like walk across the street, you know, like, oh, I'm not racist, uh, but be like clutch your purse, you mm-hmm. know, whatever. Mm-hmm. I think there's something beautiful about the transparency of like recognizing that they're they're they might be fear. I mean it's 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 a hard line to toe, right? The mm-hmm. the race and how we treat people because by acknowledging it, you're also kind of maybe perpetuating the problem, but also by acknowledging it, then there's a opportunity for a solution mm-hmm. or opportunity to fix fix the problem instead of sweeping it under the rug. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, it's a paradox, man. It's yeah, hard. <laughs> yeah. Is, is that something that you've um, had to deal with, like try exploring yourself here now that you've been living here? Like, dang, like I had to figure out my own, like start from square one and like establish like rules for myself. Where did you or like, oh, like I'm scared of you know, Indian people, I don't know, like, they scare me because they're different and I've never been around, you know, those types of people. Like, how was, what were those experiences like for you? Like, race, like, race relationships or just like, oh, like, I, I've never had Mexican food. Like, it doesn't taste good, but I'm not allowed to say that, you know, like, stuff like that where you're, for the first time ever, you just, like, have to make a decision. Um, I think in America, you don't have a, don't, you don't have to make, that decision because you can you know get along and be just fine but you have to make that decision consciously yeah what was that like for you um at uh when i first moved to south seattle i um oh before that i was in spokane it was like all white yeah all white um city and it was very different from you know south seattle you know every race possible and you know you you have to 
just get along with everybody. You know, live your life. Don't make don't don't get in trouble, and, and you'll be just fine. Yeah. Like I was just fine. Um, even though you see a lot of like, you know, black on black, Asian black, you know, um, violence and stuff like that, and you just have to aware of that. Um, I don't think you can do anything about it. Um, individual individually, but just aware of like you if like what you think can can change your action mm-hmm. and if you think positively about anything you do positive yeah is there any like cuisine or culture that you're attracted to that you are, are like newly exposed to that you you weren't exposed to in, in vietnam yeah um one of the first restaurant that uh my aunt's family uh took me to when i got to america is a mexican restaurant like we live in a town called newport and that was the only probably one of five restaurants available in that town so we will always go to mexican restaurant every sunday what would it, what would it taste like to you it tastes different like mexican food and vietnamese food like, completely you, different we're like whoa like i love the beans yeah i love the the shredded beef shredded pork <laughs> and i still love mexican food yeah <laughs> it's yeah, it's because of those, you know, first exposure thing that I got when I first came here that kind of shaped who I am. Yeah. What do you think about the Vietnamese food in America? That's good. Is it better? Worse? Like, what? Also, I'm curious, like, what? How was Vietnamese food in Vietnam different than America? Because, like you were saying, like along with the, the freedom flag, a lot of that that time is stuck in America, where I only eat like stuff from the '70s. I only speak with. Uh, Vietnamese known in the 70s hmm. like I say like I never really think about that yeah for me though that's what I think about like I say like Gansak, which is like uh-huh. a super old term for like a, a police officer uh-huh. right now they say Gomang Gomang yeah uh-huh. so it's like when people when I say Gansak, people look at me like dude are you fucking like 60 years old <laughs> you know because that's like what my parents taught me uh-huh. so I think about like the evolution of like pho for instance yeah like pho in vietnam is so different than pho in america where there's a california style with like all the meat all the tendon you get a pho deck beak and it's like jumbo and like there's it's like it's like a, a like a wet dream it's like every single piece of like meat off the cow in the pho and like that's not how it is in vietnam so like what are the differences in terms of th- how food is evolving in there and how food is evolving here because influences are different like we have like a um black people mexican people like all these people that are like eating pho and then like contributing to like changing it in like mm-hmm. different contexts like a white guy making pho uh, like a, a korean person making pho like uh it's just interesting to me to see like what your perception is um obviously uh the food portion is more in america like yeah. a lot more like you go to vietnam you get like a little dish <laughs> you're yeah. like oh i need more <laughs> but here that's like a lot like even fast go up to fast which yeah, is like, like XL. Yeah, it's, it's called like a train. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's like it's like a jumbo, super big, super yeah, like masculine type of portion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one of the thing I want to touch on is, um, uh, do you know ra- ramen of Japan? Like mm-hmm. it's very expensive. Like and a lot of Japanese food are very expensive because, um, I think they were able to patiently, um. Uh, craft whatever they make and then as opposed to you know a Vietnamese restaurant you would serve banh mi for like one dollar 
like back in the day and you get it quick you know have it going um have about you know give it to people to people um for the day and somehow that kind of make vietnamese food a cheap food in america and <clears throat> you know a, a, a ramen dish is just you know ramen and and broth it's the same as far but they were able to charge twenty dollars for the ramen as opposed to like if you sell pho for like twelve dollars it's already expensive yeah i work at mr saigon and we sell sandwich for six dollars and people were like it's expensive i get it in chinatown for like three dollars yeah and um it's hard for you know vietnamese as a community to acknowledge that but if we're able to like price ourselves better value our craftsmanship better we would be like we would be so much better than you know a deli food yeah how do you think that what's like the best uh well not the best but what's like a good good progression of that and how to make vietnamese food seem more of a not a luxury food but something that is like valuable mm -hmm. not just like cheap because i feel like mexican food is in the same boat mm -hmm. where the culture is actually out of convenience like You get a taco on the street very fast and you get it immediately and you, you eat it to get full so you can work. Mm. And Mexican food's kind of in the same um, same rank where it's like the you go to a Mexican restaurant and it's not the focus is not the interior. It's not the service. It's not um, the ambiance. It's all just like very minimal. Like it's kind of not dirty, but, you know, mm -hmm. it just seems like they put like a handwritten sign on the wall. And the taco for over $4 is expensive. But then you go to like a high-end Mexican restaurant, you get $5 tacos and it's like owned by a white person or it's owned by, it's run, it's like cooked by white people, served for white people. Like, do you have an opinion about like, uh, like, uh, well, I'll just use Babar, right? Is that restaurant um, in Seattle? It's like kind of high-end Vietnamese food where most of the people there eating there are not Vietnamese. So how do you feel about that? Um, is you and me who are the people who can make the difference like the creative Vietnamese creatives who are able to make a difference between you know having something convenient and take it to the next level because it used to be like yeah like you said like a white guy who's like probably very creative and you know appreciate of our culture that doing that stuff but We've we've been missing that part for so long that you know we need to like like a lot of people right now is going back to their heritage like like we said uh, like we talked about earlier and I think that can be done with food like if we really take a step back and look at the food not just something convenient not 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 as you know one dollar banh mi or whatever and take it to the next level the same thing like the white guy who can do that we can do that too and mm -hmm. we probably do it better because you know we lived with it for our whole life yeah is there any any um creatives or restaurants or just people that are are doing what we're talking about or taking some of the heritage and like re reapplying it to a vietnamese context that you can think of like friends or restaurants that you um i mean you work at mr saigon so obviously them but uh, i have a friend in portland um uh, richard and sophia uh, that run a uh, food cart mata And they're doing that where they take like home style Vietnamese dishes like tikka and like gaka and like they're selling it for like twelve, thirteen dollars, you know. And that stuff to me is like home style mm -hmm. and stuff that 
you would never find in a restaurant. And it's interesting that like a lot of these young people are now reverting back to some of the things that we've talked about where mm-hmm. they're not selling Ben Mei anymore because that's like what our parents did to in order to get in the door. Mm-hmm. And so we're like flipping it around and I think that's amazing. I, I think that's like on the right path where um it's like what we really eat. Like we don't like like mm-hmm. we don't eat Ben Mein Pho every day. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's like only two dishes that out of like uh, many dishes that people eat and mm-hmm. and actually p- people rarely eat pho you know like that's like something you go out to eat mm-hmm. like as like like my girlfriend you doesn't eat pho at all yeah like for me like i never went to eat pho because i can get it at home better mm-hmm. and maybe once every couple of months my mom would make it and so when i go to a vietnamese restaurant i try to eat stuff that only i could eat in a restaurant mm-hmm. so it's just interesting to see like the difference and how it's shifting Yeah, and that, yeah, like you said earlier, like kha and you know stuff like that. There's there's you know pho and banh mi is like only the surface level. There was like a lot more of Vietnamese food that people can explore. Um, gom tam is good. You like oh gom yeah, gom tam is good. Yeah, but that, that that's actually a dish that would be difficult to make at home. Mm-hmm. You know, because yeah. it's like so many different pho is difficult too. Like it I is. respect like moms and you know grandmoms who make pho. Yeah, it is. It is true. Pho is difficult to make. Um. But there's something about like a, a restaurant pho sometimes that you're just like, oh, it's missing the love. Mm-hmm. It's like you can tell that they don't care as much. Mm-hmm. But sometimes you you eat a good pho, pho restaurant, and you're like, oh shit, they like they know what they're doing. So I can understand like the appeal of pho. It's like a very balanced dish. Mm-hmm. It's very it seems to be very filling and healthy. So mm-hmm. I mean, I guess it's not like oh, I hate that people like pho, but it's not representative of um, what Vietnamese food really is. Mm-hmm. Um, and like we were saying earlier, like Vietnamese culture has had so much influence from different cultures, like Chinese, French. It's like really, really obvious in the food. You know, like there's so much Chinese like influence on like like tikka jung is like mm-hmm. a, a Chinese dish, right? And then you see like a baguette is obviously a French dish. Mm-hmm. Cafe soda. Cafe soda. Yeah, like coffee wasn't really a thing before the mm-hmm. French came. So. Uh, it's it's really beautiful that Vietnamese is, the Vietnamese culture has been able to blend and kind of make it their own, like you were saying. Like they've always finessed the finessed the the whatever they have. Yeah, to make it into something like t- to make it their identity. Where a lot of the stuff that we call Vietnamese, modern Vietnamese, like identity, is not actually Vietnamese. What is that? Like you know what I mean? Like the, even those dishes, like cafe seda, is like known as Vietnamese, but like that's not even mm-hmm. like if you want to be like, oh, like I'm a purist. Like that's not really like all yeah. Vietnamese. So yeah. it's really interesting how, in, how Americans view themselves. Sometimes I think um, people are so like I'm American and like fuck everyone else and like I don't want that in my life. But you realize that like there's a lot more influences outside of America that makes America America. Mm-hmm. And I think Viet- Vietnamese culture is like beautiful in that way. Mm-hmm. And I think about when my culture as a Vietnamese American, like I'm just, this is just a continuation of what we've been talking about where, where I'm going to hopefully finesse the American system and like make it, you know, that next thing where we look back 50 years from now and be like, damn, mm-hmm. they did it again, you know? So yeah, it's, it's interesting. And we, we only like, uh, like, like a point in the timeline of like, you know, like the people before us, our parents, you know, they reached this point and now we're like, We have to take it to the next level. Yeah. Like, do you have goals for yourself in terms of um, pro- not prolonging, but uh, continuing and advancing like the culture, like through your clothes, through you know what you do at home here, um, through your education? Like, what is the like you said you do it for more than yourself? Like, what is that thing that you're trying to accomplish? 
like a design consultant. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Something I want to do. Yeah. What, what What are you hoping to do with that? Like just connect more people, like give people a platform. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah. One of like I can give you an example in Vietnam. They in fashion, um, clothing wise, they care about. It's it's kind of a good thing. They care about quality more than they care about storytelling. So you see a lot of storytelling in the U.S. Yeah, a lot. A lot of storytelling and a lot of people trying to fit in with storytelling. But in Vietnam, they only care about quality. Like a good garment is a high quality garment, nothing else. And there's no storytelling. But we have so much story to tell. So I want to be able to, you know, guide brands and stuff like that into more storytelling, into more Vietnamese reference, why we do the way we do, why we do things the way we do. It's interesting that, that that's the the successful thing in America that you think that Vietnam is lacking. Because a lot of the people, like when starting a brand, it's all about the story and not like the quality of the product is really bad. Mm-hmm. Like you, It's like really generic. And you're like, anyone can make that. But for some reason, the brand is blown up and there's like this like, crazy following or like i think supreme is a good example of um maybe they have quality garments but some of their stuff is like just trash and you're like why are why is everyone buying this stuff um and it's part of the story and part of the hype and part of the clout that um, follows a lot of like branding Mm -hmm. yeah um yeah like for example if you like if you give a t-shirt to your mom she'll probably be like too thin yeah. <laughs> yeah that's that's the kind of mentality that a lot of Vietnamese have like they they care about um if a shirt would last through a drying machine stuff like that more than you know the message behind the shirt that's that's a, that's a really good point mm-hmm. it's, it's kind of lacking but we'll, we'll get there someday yeah well is there anything else you want to to pitch or or not pitch but do, is there <laughs> anything else you want to like you know talk about or like shout out to any of your friends or people that people that um, listeners should follow or people that you think are influential? Mm. Uh, VSG, Souvenir, follow all the admins, follow my girlfriend, Nui. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Cool. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for, thanks for coming on. So you've made it to the end of the Planet Dose podcast. If you're interested in helping the Planet Dose podcast grow, there are a couple of things you can do. First, you can head over to patreon.com forward slash Planet Dose. The way that Patreon works is that you make a monthly pledge at the beginning of each month. You can upgrade or downgrade whenever you want, and you can opt in to a couple tiers. The first tier that you can choose is the microdose, which is $2 a month. All the money raised is greatly appreciated and helpful. It goes to improving recording equipment, maintaining production quality, and developing new projects for the podcast. You can also send a one-time donation to Planet Dose on Venmo. By sending money to Planet Dose, you can show Planet Dose how much value this podcast brings to your life. There is also a simple and easy way to help support the podcast that doesn't require money. You can simply head over to all your podcast platforms and leave a review and rating. By doing this, this helps others find the podcast. You can also find us on Instagram and Gmail at Planet Dose if there's any information or questions you want to know about the podcast. 
I'm your host, Kevin, and I'll see you every Sunday on Planet Dose. Bao nhiêu 